Yep, yeah, but a scroll walking the wrong way never finds a nut. If you couldn't hit a curveball, you couldn't hit a curveball and that was game over. That is a legitimately quite spicy take. Welcome to the Game Points Podcast with your hosts, Brendan McGuire and Noah Kirsting Mom. Today we're going to be talking about the NFL Draft. Some more coverage, we're going to be talking about hot takes, some players we like, maybe some position rankings. What do you want to do? Um, I re- I'd like to hear your hot takes because I actually don't have, in my opinion, many really interesting takes about this year's draft class. I mean, I think we could see... I've got some spicy hot ones. I, we could see a running... I could see um, Harris fall out of the first round, but that's the only hot take I've got. And I'm going to label that as lukewarm take because... I go slightly warmer than lukewarm, but it's not particularly hot. I agree. But I I've mean, got a couple of spicy ones in here. I mean, the Justin Fields t- as the best quarterback in the draft is one of those like weirdly consensus hot takes though like so that's one of them one of the guys i really like is justin fields in this draft i think a lot of people are sleeping on him and i think he's going to fall much farther than he should i think the difference between him and lawrence i have lawrence as 1a and fields as 1b simply on sample size because lawrence has almost double the passing attempts than fields so his numbers have a little bit more credence to them but Justin Fields is a tremendous player, and I think his athleticism, his toughness, his leadership, his accuracy, his productivity, if he's able to sustain that at the next level, he's going to be an absolutely incredible quarterback and a steal in this year's draft. I think there's no argument to be made about Zach Wilson at number two. I think Justin Fields is clearly the second best quarterback, and he was coming into this year and did nothing but solidify that. I mean, he had a fantastic season. One take that I'm not convinced on this because I believe the Jets will mess this up because that's a safe bet. I don't think it's inconceivable that the Jets do something competent and take Fields a two. Oh, I think it's inconceivable. Literally anything I've seen says Zach Wilson's a lock at two. Bearing like a drug test failure sort of thing. But I don't know how much of that is from Robert Sala. You know, this is his guy. You know, I've seen a lot of pundits become enamored with Wilson and kind of crown him as a number two pick. But I haven't seen a lot of that. Like, I haven't seen a lot of that information come from a reliable data source or at least even source where the data is coming from. Like, if this was like Robert Sala's guy, then I think I would be a little bit more convinced. But because I haven't seen that, I have to trust that it's within the realm of possibility that with a new general manager and a new head coach, the Jets are able to do something productive for their franchise and take the right guy. Just just to keep their fans off balance. (laughs) Exactly. Just to spice things up every once in a while. Actually doing the right thing. But that's definitely one hot take that I have is that I think it's very possible that Justin Fields goes number two because, frankly, he should. And I I honestly don't see the argument for Wilson. I mean, Justin Fields, I won't go through the list. He outperformed him in every single category, both at a per-season basis 
and in terms of his accumulative career basis. And he played one less season and he played in a tougher conference and his team had more success. And Wilson has an injury history that includes surgery to his right shoulder, his throwing arm, and a fracture on his right hand. Like there isn't an argument for Wilson. And so I have to believe that Robert Sala is a competent head coach who's able to see these very blatant red flags with Wilson. But if he was competent, would the Jets have hired him? You know, even a blind squirrel finds a nut every once in a while. Yep, but a squirrel walking the wrong way never finds a nut. But on the topic of quarterbacks, Noah, get ready. This is pretty spicy. Zach Wilson, in terms of my quarterback rankings, is not in my top two, obviously. He's not even in my top three. He's not even in my top four. Wait, hold on, Noah. Hold on. Zach Wilson is not in my top five quarterback rankings. As for the top four, Trevor is obviously better. Field is better. Mac Jones is more accurate, productive, and consistent, who also played in a pro-style offense against better competition and won a national championship game. Trey Lance has higher upside. The fifth spot is tough, but I think the edge goes to Kyle Trask out of Florida, who's my number five quarterback. It's close, but there's a slight edge. Looking at career stats... Completions, Trask has 552, Wilson has 566. Passing attempts, Trask, 813, Wilson, 837. Completion percentage, Trask, 67.9, Wilson, 67.6. Average yards per attempt, Trask, 9.9, Wilson, 9.9. Interceptions, Trask, 15, Wilson, 15. These guys are almost identical. Almost. The two numbers where they differ are touchdowns and QBR. Trask has 69 touchdowns to Wilson's 56 and a QBR of 169 to Wilson's 163. It's slight, but the edge does go to Trask. It's also worth noting that Trask played in the SEC, going against the likes of Alabama, LSU, Georgia, and played in the SEC championship game this year against the Alabama Crimson Tide, who were the eventual national champions. And Trask threw for 408 yards with three touchdowns and no interceptions. While Wilson only played one ranked team all year, and it was a Coastal Carolina Chanteliers. Now, are you going there? Don't get me wrong. Alabama's no Coastal Carolina Chanteliers. But it's still pretty impressive for Trask. So I don't have Zach Wilson in my top five. And like I said, Trevor and Fields are clearly above the rest. There's an argument for putting him at three or four or five. But I think Mac Jones had a significantly better season. And I think he's actually a sneaky good prospect. And actually, like if you compare... Mac Jones' 2020 season to Joe Burrow's 2019. They're very similar. And Mac Jones actually has a higher QBR rating than Burrow did in 2019. And they played in the same conference and had the same exact team success. So him, in terms of prospect coming out of college, him and Joe Burrow have an almost identical resume. So I think he's going to get the edge over Wilson at three. 
I think Trey Lance is just a tantalizing prospect who has so much upside, who has shades of Deshaun Watson, that a team is going to bet on him. So I have Lance at four. And then as I just described with Trask, it's very, very close there. But the edge goes to Trask and he played better competition. So I don't have Wilson in my top five quarterback rankings. I really feel like a lot of QB ranking, like prospect wise, sometimes feels like MLB or like baseball scouting pre the money ball era. There's just like the idea of a player becomes so powerful that like, can he hit a curveball was something that was just was believed a problem that could be fixed in baseball when like, for a century, basically, it wasn't true. Like, if you couldn't hit a curveball, you couldn't hit a curveball, and that was game over. But there are just times when this sort of prospect, it's the idea of the player and what it would look like or feel like them being great gets put over some of the tape sometimes. Yeah, I agree with that. And I think that's happening with Zach Wilson. I think teams are latching onto that small sample size and not looking at the bigger picture. Like, I get that with Trey Lance because the only thing he's shown is basically that 2019 tape. Similarly with Mac Jones, only 17 games started between the two of them. So all you have to look at is that sample size. But with a guy like Zach Wilson, it's not like he doesn't have other data available. There's two other seasons, both of which he was an undraftable prospect. So I think Wilson is going to go number two overall, but I I don't have him graded as a first round prospect. That is a legitimately quite spicy take. I think Kyle Pitts does not make it past number five. And the reason why I say number five is important. I think he's actually going to go number four to the Atlanta Falcons, but I don't think he's going to last past five. Given the choice of Jamar Chase and Kyle Pitts, the Bengals would take Kyle Pitts. I think Kyle Pitts is number one on the big board for the Cincinnati Bengals. Obviously, they're not looking at any of the quarterbacks that are that are going to go one, two, or three. But again, given the choice between Jamar Chase, Kyle Pitts, and even Penny Sewell, I think the Bengals are going to take Kyle Pitts if he's there. I think he'll be gone because I think Atlanta's taking him at four. But if he's there, Kyle Pitts comes off the board at number five over Jamar Chase. I think that takes pretty lukewarm. Basically, this pick boils down to Penny Sewell or Jamar Chase. For a lot of people, like that's that's the consensus. Because it's either, do you solidify your left tackle or do you go get Joe Burrow's guy? I mean, that's kind of the debate at number five, but nobody's really talking about Kyle Pitts. Like Kyle Pitts' range right now is either four or six, either going to Atlanta at number four or the Dolphins at number six. Nobody's talking about him going number five. I think he's at the top of the board for the Bengals. I think tackle is the right thing to do, but assuming the Bengals are okay with 2019 first round pick Jonah Williams and the new acquisition of Riley Reef. It shifts to Jamar Chase versus Kyle Pitts. I think Chase has a higher floor and a higher ceiling, but Tyler Boyd and T. Higgins are very solid starters already on their roster. Drew Sample, on the other hand, is not. Tight end is a much bigger need for the Bengals. T. Higgins plays out wide, and putting Pitts in the middle down the hash or in the slot opens up more space in that offense than adding Jamar Chase because they already have a deep threat wideout. So I think if they have the choice between Jamar Chase and Kyle Pitts, I think they're going to take Pitts. I don't think that's what they should do. I think they should take Penny Sewell. And I think ultimately they will take Penny Sewell, but nobody's talking about Pitts to five. But if he's there, he doesn't make it 
to number six. All right, Noah, I got one more hot take. I'm ready for it. Yep. All right. So this is my last big hot take. It's not that hot of a take, but I think it's interesting and noteworthy. During draft week, you'll hear a lot of player comps, but I'm going to go in a different direction and make a draft to draft comp. The 2021 quarterback class has shades of the 2017 quarterback class. I think Zach Wilson is Mitch Trubisky. He had one good season, bet on the upside. He's going to be overdrafted and he's going to fail to live up to expectations. He's also going to be stranded in a place with absolutely no help. I think Trevor Lawrence is Miles Garrett. I know he's not a quarterback, but they're, they were both the presumptive number one overall selections. They were hyped as a generational talent, and they're both going to be successful and very productive, but ultimately not the revolutionary prospect they were advertised to be. I think Justin Fields is Deshaun Watson. I think both received excessive criticism of their game leading up to the draft, picking apart each little detail, every skill set and limitation, as opposed to focusing on their upside, focusing on their production, their leadership. I think Fields is going to fall later than he should and be seen in retrospect as one of the best quarterbacks in the draft and potentially one of the best quarterbacks in the league. Trey Lance, I'm going Mahomes here. I'm not saying that Lance is going to become the player that Mahomes is now, but rather Mahomes as a prospect that he was. Big arm, risky, with a huge range of possibility. A low floor, but an enormous ceiling. I think he's going to be taken a little bit sooner than people think because no GM wants to be the GM that misses on Mahomes, that didn't take him, that let him slide. Mahomes' success will actually push Trey Lance up the board because like, I, I almost feel like missing on a guy like that is a bigger indictment than drafting a quote-unquote safe quarterback and missing. I think guys like Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, Lamar Jackson give credence to the theory of betting on the upside. And then when you compare that to the quote-unquote safe quarterbacks, quarterbacks who are perceived as having high floors but not a lot of upside, guys like Jared Goff or Josh Rosen, the failures of those types of players will lead to NFL executives prioritizing players with tremendous upside. So I think Trey Lance gets pushed up the board because of that. Mac Jones doesn't have a great comp for that class, but I think we can all accept the fact he's somewhere between Mason Rudolph in a bad system and Matt Ryan in a good system. And the other comparison I'd like to make is the 2021 wide receiver class to the 2017 running back class, which was a historic season for running backs. I think this wide receiver class is extremely deep with a lot of playmakers and has the potential to rival that position group in terms of NFL productivity. Wrong. I just don't think there will be a position group drafted in like the next 10 years that was as good as the 2017 running backs. Like I just, that's to me an extremely high bar. It's like LeBron's NBA draft class. Like they just don't come like that with rare, rare exceptions. I agree with you. I don't think it's probable, but I think it's possible. And I think kind of, Analogous to my point about Mahomes and Trey Lance, these prospects relate much closer to the 2017 running back draft class as prospects, as opposed to the players they act 
they eventually developed into. Because you're right, that's an exceedingly high bar. But in terms of the running backs that they were supposed to be, the prospects that they were coming into that draft, which were still fantastic, I'm setting it there. Fair. And I'm looking at I'm looking at these prospects, that running back class, when they were coming into the NFL. And I think it starts at the top with Jamar Chase and Leonard Fournette. Very talented players. They're going to be productive, but probably struggle to live up to the gaudy expectations. You know, Leonard Fournette was a great player in Jacksonville, but he he wasn't a Hall of Fame player, which is what he was supposed to be. And if the expectations had been lower, he would be viewed a lot more favorably now. You know, he's an impact player. He's a good running back. But I think because the expectations were Hall of Fame, he's seen as a disappointment in modernity. Yeah. But I think that could happen to Jamar Chase. I think, you know, he could be an incredible player. But the reason why I make that comparison is just because my expectations of Jamar Chase are similar to the expectations of Leonard Fournette when he was coming into the league, which are a game-changing player. Jalen Waddle, I compare him to Christian McCaffrey. These guys are all about speed. Explosive playmaker, skilled route runner, run after the catch ability. Frame is a little bit of a concern, but has the potential to be an offensive cheat code. I think Jalen Waddle could be the best wide receiver in the draft. I think he's the fastest receiver in the draft with the best route running. I think he's special. And I think him and Christian McCaffrey are guys. There aren't that many of this type of player in the league but guys that are unguardable. It's worth saying that like Christian McCaffrey broke a bunch of records in college, like yards from scrimmage records in a single season that like Waddle's really good, but there wasn't like a great second weapon at Stanford that is to McCaffrey what Smith is to Waddle. And I think the comparison breaks down a little bit there. Well, that leads me into my next comparison, which is Devontae Smith whose comparison is also Christian McCaffrey. And to your point, the reason why I make that comparison as well is it's different than Waddle. Waddle's comparison to McCaffrey is the elite speed, the game-changing ability, the ability to break off an 80-yard touchdown on any play. Whereas Devontae Smith's comparison to Christian McCaffrey is the productivity that you mentioned. It's being an extremely durable player. It's being a leader. But also similar to McCaffrey, Devontae Smith is going to slide farther than he should in the first round exclusively due to concerns about how his frame will translate to the NFL. That's why Christian McCaffrey lasted until 10. He was far more productive than Leonard Fournette. He should have been the first running back drafted, but his frame is the was the only knock on him. He didn't have injury concerns. He had the intangibles. He was a leader. He was extremely productive. But NFL teams were a little bit concerned, not overly concerned. I mean, he was still a top 10 pick, but a little concerned about his frame. And I think that is similarly the only knock on Devontae Smith. So I'm also comparing him to, to Christian McCaffrey. My fourth rated wide receiver is Rashad Bateman. I think he compares to Dalvin Cook. These are guys that are productive, dynamic, explosive good route runners with sure hands. Similarly to Cook, when Cook was coming out, Rashad Bateman could show a little bit more dog in him, a little bit more aggression when finishing runs or when pass blocking or for run blocking for Bateman. And this was surprisingly a concern for Dalvin Cook when he was coming out of college. I mean, now he's trucking over guys left and right. 
which I think Rashad Bateman could also do given his size and physical ability. Both of these players had a slight dip in production in their final collegiate seasons, which caused them to slide a little bit in the draft. But for both guys, the team that gets them is going to be very happy and get a very productive player. Kadarius Toney, I view him as an Alvin Kamara type. You know, he's a runner-receiver, quick first step, elusive, run after the catch. A player who could outperform expectations. You know, he'll be drafted as a change of pace or a kind of secondary option at a position. But a guy who could blossom into a feature playmaker. Terrace Marshall Jr. is kind of similar to Joe Mixon. Joe Mixon fell because of the off-the-field concerns, but his ability was never questioned, and I think that's similar to Terrace Marshall. Both have acceleration and great straight-line speed. The physical tools are all there. Both guys have a nose for the end zone and big upside. Ramon St. Brown, who's a guy that could go late day two, maybe early day three, but a guy who I project into the late second, early third round. I think he's similar to James Conner. You know, neither one of these guys are drafted to be the guy, but could eventually become the guy. Reliable playmaker. He's not going to be a Hall of Fame type of player, but a, a very solid pro who will help his team win games, similar to James Conner. And then the last one is Elijah Moore and Kareem Hunt. They were both a featured guy in their collegiate offenses you know in both situations the offense kind of ran through them both string series of moves together in open space you know when they're running in open field they're creative and elijah moore could be a dynamic player if selected to the right team and in the right fit if he's utilized as he should be in the slot and he's given the freedom to operate there particularly with a team that has a deep threat that you have to respect so the field is a little bit stretched he will be extremely productive. I think it's unfair to set the bar this high because like you said, this was a very unique position group in 2017 for running backs. But I think the strength of this draft again this year is wide receiver. And I think this wide receiver class compares favorably to the 2017 running back class when they were coming into the league. I hope these guys develop in a similar way that would make the game better, but I think this has the potential to be a very special position group. And I'm looking forward to seeing how these players develop. Any other things you want to mention about the draft? No, I'm, I've pretty much said my piece. All right, well, do you want to do it like a little outro? Like, hey, everybody, thanks for listening. Thank you all, shallow relatives, for listening. It's very kind of you. And Brendan's dad. Thank you, everybody, for listening to the Game Points podcast. If you like today's content, stay tuned for more. Like, share, subscribe, follow, whatever platform you're listening on. And if you don't like it, send it to people you don't like. We, we, ta- we take views where we can get them. Works for everybody. Thanks for listening, guys. Talk soon. Bye. All right, now, I thought that was pretty good. I, we obviously went over what I was expecting, but I'm going to try my best to edit this and get it out by the end of tomorrow because it wouldn't make sense to do a predictive mock draft after the NFL draft happens. Honestly, I kind of like it. There's a part of me that, <laughs> there's a part of me that, would, that would enjoy looking good and stupid putting it out when like there are just going to be some awful takes on it. I like it. All right, well...
Thanks for taking the time to do this. I'll, like I said, I'll, I'll do my best to get it out by tomorrow. It was my pleasure. Have fun at the Grand Canyon. I will. Thanks, Noah. Bye. Bye.